Welcome to the Life of Christ series 4, term 4. This is lesson 30. We are dealing with a very interesting subject right now. <laughs> and uh, we're getting a lot of stories out of it. We're going to pick up where we left off on page 6. Uh, and this is in chapter 16. And I'm just going to launch right into this. It is interesting to note that the technique that Jesus was employing in his response to the Pharisees was a well-known rabbinic type called a qual wahoma, meaning the light and the weighty. If a thing was true for the less important, that is David and his men, then much more was it so for the more important, God's son and his disciples. <laughs> okay? Therefore, as Leon Morris puts it, if David's men's hunger set aside a divine regulation without blame, how much more should the hunger of Jesus' disciples set aside a rabbinical rule? Amen? Alright. So having, having made the point that the Sabbath observance should never be allowed to degenerate into a ritual to be kept at the cost of the essential needs of man, whether that need is food or healing, or even helping people in need, Jesus now goes on to say in Matthew chapter 12, and verses 5 through 7. So we're going to begin in verse 5. Now these verses are unique to Matthew. All right. He says, Jesus says, Oh, have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Here now Jesus draws the attention to the fact that on every single Sabbath all the priests in the temple literally profane and desecrate the Sabbath by the physically exhausting work they perform in sacrificing animals. You know, that's a very hard thing to do. Alright, if, if you've ever seen it. And yet no one faults them for it because it is done within the confines of the temple, indicating therefore that it is done in the service to God. Amen? So it's really interesting. He's saying, you know, you are hypocrites. You see these priests doing these jobs, doing, you know, these tasks that are just monumentally difficult. I mean, it is the very definition of work. Okay? And hard work at that. And he's saying, you look at that, and according to you, then they're profaning the Sabbath. Now, if they didn't do that, you could never give your offering. So what are you going to do about that? What would you say about that? You would obviously say, well, since it's more important to give my offering to God, and for this priest to do the sacrifices, so that I could receive the blessing of God, then let them work. Can, can I get an amen on that? Isn't that, what he, isn't that what they're thinking when they're doing that? They're going, the, better, the priest better do this today, because it's not good tomorrow. It needs to be done on the Sabbath. <clears throat> and so Jesus is saying, listen man, you watch them do this, you know, as, you know that they're working very, very hard, you know, you guys won't even let a man catch a fish, and this guy is sacrificing a whole cow, and you allow him to do that. Why? Because it's honoring God, because it's done within the temple. Okay? It's hypocritical. Yes, please sacrifice my bull for me, but oh, you better not catch a fish there because you're hungry. Hello? Okay? Alright. So, with this in mind, Jesus now goes on to say in the next verse, Matthew 12, 6. Yet I say to you, listen, that in this place, there is one greater than the temple. Now first of all, we know that the one greater than the temple... See, <laughs> uh, let me just talk to you about this for a minute. 
he just made the point that you guys basically let the priests get away with what would be defined as murder in the temple, sacrificing, you know, doing all the sacrifices, okay, because they're in the temple. And so what he's saying is, because they're in the temple, the temple makes what they do okay. Alright? If the temple makes what they do okay, what happens if someone greater than the temple is before you? Do you understand that the temple isn't really the temple? It's the place to what? Worship God. So what is greater than the temple? The God that is in the temple. <laughs> do you understand? So he's saying, he's saying, listen, the reason that you allow all this to take place is not because they're in the temple as much as the one they're sacrificing to in the temple. So he's saying, that's who I'm drawing your attention to right now. Forget the temple. The, the whole purpose for the sacrifices in the temple is to honor God. And God is standing before you. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of ignoramuses. No. <laughs> you know, it's like, don't you, do you not get this? <laughs> okay. And so, first of all, we know that the one greater than the temple, referring to God Himself, which happens to be the one that they are profaning and desecrating the Sabbath in order to offer their sacrifices. All right. And so, just as a point of interest, Jesus not only refers to Himself as one greater than the temple, but He goes on to say in this same chapter later on in verse forty-one and. 42, he says, in fact, the men of Nineveh, I'm on page 7, will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Why? Because they, that's the Ninevites, repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. Verse 42, the queen of the south, this is referring to the famed queen of Sheba, will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Now he's talking about his generation. He's talking about the Jews. Okay, For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. Hallelujah. So he gives them two examples, and we're going to look at this when we get to these verses in a lot more detail. But he's giving them two very well-known examples. And letting them know that what they are doing right now is profaning the very thing that they, they claim to honor. Okay. And that is God. In other words, Gentile believers are going to rise up against these Jewish leaders and condemn them for their stubborn unbelief. And their active rejection of the one greater than Jonah, Solomon, and even the temple. Are you, are you, did you get all of that? Right. So they are, they are just messing up big time now. So returning to Matthew 12, 6. Notice that Jesus says here, In this place there is one greater than the temple. Thereby letting them know that they are in fact standing in the very presence of God Himself. <clears throat> Couldn't get any clearer than that. That being the case, what is the use of all of their religious service to God, including their sacrifices, if they're going to treat God Himself, the object of their worship, with such contempt? <laughs> okay? And why Jesus now goes on to say in verse 7 of Matthew chapter 12, But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, and that literally means compassion, and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Interesting, isn't it? Notice the words he used. You would not have condemned the guiltless. Now this is a quote from Hosea 6.6, 6, 
which states, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. In short, here are the Pharisees violating the scripture on both fronts. They are not only merciless, but they also clearly lack the knowledge of God. Remembering Jesus' comment in Matthew 12, 5 again, Have you not read in the law? Remember? He's saying you guys don't have a knowledge of this. Alright? So in his commentary, William Hendrickson writes, If they had only taken to heart the words of Hosea 6, 6, they would have known that showing mercy is right on any day of the week, including most certainly the Sabbath. But that was exactly the trouble with these Pharisees. They lacked pity or compassion. They did not love kindness they, they not only condemned Jesus, but secretly rejoiced in having discovered another reason, as they saw it, for causing him to be destroyed. Now, let me just, uh, I, I don't want to race through this little section, because there is something very important here that we need to address. Notice what, he, what uh, William Hendrickson says, I really like what he says here. All right. He said, if they were only taken to heart the words of Hosea 6.6, 6, they would have known that showing mercy is right on any day of the week. If ever you come to a place where you have to decide whether you are going to be kind and merciful and forgiving, or judgmental and you know, legalistic about your religion or anything else, always go the mercy way. You know, I have seen so much of the time, this is, this I guess has been the biggest problem with the religion side, you know, of Christianity. And that is, we get mad because things aren't the way we think they should be. And a lot of times, you know, we have to be really careful that we're not basing all of our rules and regulations on how we feel. You know, because, you know, so, <laughs> sometimes... How many times have you just, you know, you got to the place you think, you know what, I'm just tired of praying for you. Can, can I just, okay, can we just be real here for a minute? Okay, see, now you are, you're doing that because of your flesh. That, that God isn't tired of praying. You're the one that's tired of praying for that person, okay? Now if God says, don't, for whatever reason, which is very rare, but if God says, just leave that alone, maybe for things that you don't understand, then okay, leave it alone. But, but see, you're not doing that because you're tired of it. Because bless God, every time I pray for them, they get worse. Okay, you know, and, and you've got this kind of like, you know, and so you start making these rules and laws and, and the way that you approach things and the way that you decide whether you're going to do something or not and the way that you tell everybody else to approach things is all based on how you feel. And so much of the time, you know, sad to say, we're always looking for everybody else to agree with us. Sometimes the best thing to do is not agree. If something isn't right, we need to say actually, you know, maybe a little compassion needs to be shown here. Yes, but you know, blah, 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 blah. And can I say this? Listen carefully. Are you ready for this? Compassion doesn't stand there and say, do they have a reason for me to show compassion? Compassion is devoid of reason. Okay? Now, what I mean by that is this. You know, let's talk about somebody being healed. Right, let's, let's talk about that for a minute. Now, it might be a way of teaching you something here. You know, say you know somebody. Okay, like, can, can we just get real for a minute? Say you know somebody. And they say, oh, I'm going to pick on you, Susan. Okay, they say, Pastor Susan, could you pray for me, please? And you know, you know that all the stuff you told them last week when you prayed for them, not to do, they went and did this week. 
And you told them, now don't, you know, let's say they were having relationship problems, okay? Let's say that, you know, they were praying that, you know, that, that, that the week will be a good week and, and they'll have peace in this week. And, you know, because they've been going out with somebody and you're saying, well, you shouldn't be going out with them because, you know, they're not saved and they're going to cause you grief and they're not going to understand when you want to go to church. And, okay, I'm just making up a situation here, okay? And so you, you say, so you pray for them. Okay, you prayed for them last week. And so you say, listen, you know, it might be a good thing just to stay away from so-and-so. Because, you know, they're always going to keep pulling you down. So, you know, so what they do, they say, oh, but I can't stay away from so-and-so. So they go out and they have another miserable week. So they come to you and say, oh, Pastor Susan, I had a miserable week. Could you pray for me? And then you ask them, oh, not that you would, okay? You, you say, now, did you all do what I said? And they go, no, I had to go back. And you go, well, I'm not going to pray for you. Yeah, you did everything I told you not to do. You were in disobedience. You don't want to live with it. <laughs> I'm making a lot of hand gestures so people aren't seeing this. <laughs> right? But you see, we get like this. I'm just telling you this, all right? Because, see, that's when you're sort of saying, well, if you did what I said, I will pray for you again. But if you're not doing what I've asked you to do, I'm not praying for you. That's not compassion. Do you understand? Now, I'm using something else, but it could be anything that ticks you off. Did you get that? Anything that ticks you off, anything that makes you upset. Alright? You need to repent of that. Because can I say this? You try, to, you try to pray for somebody when you're angry, it's not going to work. Because you're in sin. Hello? Okay? That's the reason why. See, when Jesus was moved with compassion, I'm going to teach you something now. When Jesus was moved with compassion, it said He healed them all understand not every one of them deserved to be healed now there probably was about 10 or 20 percent that were like really sweet little old people that did nothing wrong that because of the curse and and so on and so forth they got you know caught under that and got thrown under the bus so to speak on that one and they needed healing and jesus you know, he could have said the other 80%, you guys are rebellious, you guys don't listen to anybody, blah, 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 blah. You know, he didn't do any of that. Do you know what? See, we, we need to see that now. Because I, I realize that, you know, in James, it's very interesting, when he says, is anyone sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church. You know, they'll come and aren't you with all. But it's really interesting what it says there. And if he has committed any sin, it will be forgiven. Alright? Which means that you will receive your healing, and if you did something naughty to put you in a position where you needed healing, that will be fixed too. Alright? Now that's interesting, because I, you know, when, when the Lord showed me that, I realized that's what compassion is. Understanding, because see, a lot of times, I'm, I'm, I've heard preachers preaching, you know, they say, well, you're not getting healed, what have you done wrong? Now come on, talk to us. You know, tell us the truth now, let us know what you've done wrong, and you know, and, and, you know, you know what I'm trying to say, and they have to confess this and confess that and everything else. They say, well, now when I pray for you, you'll get healed and everything else. I have heard people that I have you know, considered just authorities in faith, say things like that. And you know what? It's okay. I, I, you know, I, I think there's, depending on the gift that you have, I happen to know that this particular person that I'm thinking of right now has a prophetic gift. So as a prophet, they, you know what prophets do, right? Prophets get you to, you know, they, they say, come on, come clean. I know something is wrong inside of you. What is it? Talk to me. Okay, that's what a prophet does, man. I mean, they just dig into your life. And you know, they're not very popular. Look at John the Baptist. You know, he dug into Herod's life too much. He got thrown in prison, got his head cut off. Not a good end, okay? <laughs> but prophets do that, man. I mean, they just slap you in the face. and They just, you know, remember uh, Nathan. You know, David, 
You know, had his affair with Bathsheba, and he comes and, you know, David's just living in sin, and he tells him a story. He says, let me tell you a little story. So this guy had a little lamb, you know, that wasn't on Mary, was another guy, he had a little lamb, okay? Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was only his only little lamb, and this guy had, this other guy had all these lamb, these sheep, and comes and takes this little guy's lamb, and, you know, he says, what would you do to him? I would kill him, you know, he goes, that, that's you. Can you imagine how mad they would have been, David would have been right then? He's like, you tricked me! Take this guy's head off! He could have done that, he was a king. But you know, he knew not to do that. Don't cut off the heads of the prophets. But prophets tend to do that. And I've noticed that, that the people that have given this sort of advice have had a prophetic gift. And so we can't go around demanding that of people when we don't have a prophetic gift on our life. Do you hear me? And I think it's always better to err on the side of compassion rather than judgment. And if you can't do it properly, don't do it at all. Are you all here? And that's the reason why I said, you know, this, this other couple that I've been talking about, you know, they just love everybody. They just heal everybody. They don't care what all you've done. And if you've done something wrong, well then fix it. They just, you know, they have this, this belief that if you get healed and God touches you, you'll know not to go do stuff again. Remember what Jesus did for the man who pulled up Bethesda? The guy didn't have any faith at all. I mean, he had no faith. He wasn't saying, Jesus, if you touch me, I'll be... Nothing! He was just saying, can you help me in the water? Because if I get in the water, I get healed. And Jesus just... He has no faith. He just said, just get up, take up your bed and go. And remember he said, don't do this again. The worst thing will come on you. Remember that? He's, you know, he gave him, that was later on in the temple when he met him. Thankfully, he was in the temple, okay? Hopefully giving thanks to God. But this guy had, was just spineless. Later on, you find out when the Pharisees ask him who it was, that he's, boy, he just does nothing to protect Jesus at all. This man was very weak, okay? Character-wise. If I were Jesus, I wouldn't have healed him. You know Jesus knew all men. He would have known that this man was that kind of a man. That at the first sign of trouble, he would just turn him in. And yet, Jesus healed him. Jesus had compassion. I am sure that when he healed all, there were a whole bunch of people like that that would have turned him in the first sign of trouble. And yet he healed them all. See, we, we, we look at the heal them all part, and we see the power part, but we don't see the compassion part. We see that God will heal everybody. But then we have this on the backside of that, uh, yeah, but if you're doing bad things, we don't know if you will. So we need to be careful about that. Are you all here? Now, if God speaks to you on something specific, if He reveals something to you, because something is getting this person in trouble all the time, all right, reveal that to them, let them know, do it in kindness, but don't ever stop praying for them. Amen? Until God says no, you just always keep praying for them. And even if they don't take your advice, just keep praying for them anyway. One day, hopefully the penny will drop. As somebody once said. <laughs> okay? They'll get it and go, why am I doing this stupid thing? You know, this person has only been good to me. Maybe I should listen to them. At least you're opening the door for that to happen. Are you all here? Amen? Okay. Sorry I preached there. But I think that was important that we, that we get this. Amen? Alright. Let's move on. So this is what he means... By I desire, preach all on that for this verse. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Okay? I was on the other page, so let me go back to the other page now. It is the practice of compassion that should distinguish the people of God from all others. I'm on page 8, uh, second paragraph. 
Alright? It is a practice of compassion. And I want you to see those words. The practice of compassion. Alright, it needs to be something that we do all the time. It can't be just on a good day, we're feeling good, we have compassion. You know, and all the other days we slap everybody, okay? <laughs> we, don't, we don't do that. It is the practice of compassion that should distinguish the people of God from all others. Not all the mechanical, external, religious activity they so proudly engage in. You, you see all of this stuff going on, you know, in churches and stuff where they'll have ceremonial things that they do. That, that looks really nice. And, it's, and, and people will look at it and go, oh, isn't that beautiful, that, you know, the, religious, you know, the religion there and everything else. And that's all it is. It doesn't heal anybody. It doesn't do anything. It just looks nice. Everybody wears nice clothes and they do things and that's it. Okay? Leon Morris says, Compassion is much more important and much more characteristic of those who really are the servants of God. Can I say that again? Compassion is much more important and much more characteristic of those who really are the servants of God. Alright? The compassionate do not rush to condemn people, as these Pharisees had condemned people who were guiltless. Jesus expressly says that the disciples were innocent. Now he has said that. Remember, he doesn't lie. So if they are saying that the disciples are guilty and Jesus, God in the flesh, is saying they're innocent, who is now at fault? The people that are making false accusations. Alright, so continuing on the thought. William Hendrickson says that Jesus has now pronounced his disciples guiltless. They were indeed without any guilt with respect to the charge made against them by the Pharisees. For, in picking and eating this food, they were doing what Jesus allowed and wanted them to do. They were recognizing His Lordship rather than the Lordship of the Pharisees and their oft foolish traditions. Amen. Like the way it said there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All this goes to show once again that Jesus and His disciples were not breaking any divine laws by what they did. That is now really key. They were, I, I, I underlined this, I wrote this down, because this needs to be a revelation. They were not breaking any divine laws by what they did. Because some people preach and say, well, you know, Jesus is God, He was able to break whatever law He wanted. No, listen, He said He never came to break any law, He said He came to fulfill them all. And to the utmost, okay, to the tiniest thing, and so we need to understand that everything that they did didn't break anything that God said. Because, you know, who was the one that wrote it anyway? It was Jesus. People still don't get this. You know, people, people, it amazes me how people don't understand that the word that the Pharisees were using to come against Jesus was the same word given to them by Jesus, who is called the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Remember in Revelation, it says on His side there was written, the Word of God. So, <laughs> how can He break the very thing that He lives by, and that He is a personification of? So, let me reread this again. So, all this again goes to show that Jesus and His disciples were not breaking any divine laws by what they did. It was the Pharisees, hypocrites, with murder in their hearts, and wrongful accusations, that were the ones who were really sinning, 
and breaking the law and, com- and coming under judgment by God. Now see, what we need to see here is not what the Pharisees were saying. What they were saying was wrong. But there is something deeper than this. We need to recognize something more here, and that is the attitude with which they did it. They did it with a hateful anger that was coming from a depth in their heart. As bad as it is to do it in your heart, just make sure it doesn't get to your hands. Moving on. In fact, Hendrickson goes on to say, Guilty are those who imagine that they can honor the Sabbath while dishonoring its Lord. I love that. Let me read it again. Guilty are those who imagine that they can honor the Sabbath while dishonoring its Lord. Isn't that amazing? Okay. To continue, we need to get to Mark's account because it includes a statement that precedes the next verse in Matthew's account, but prior uh, to Matthew 12, 8. It is the statement found in Mark chapter 2 and verse 27 where it says, And he said to them, and this is where he says, that The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Literally, this is what the literal text says, Not the Sabbath, but man was created first. Then came the Sabbath. Did you get that? Okay, can, can I read it again? Watch the order of the words, alright? It says... Not, see, it doesn't say the Sabbath was not made for man. And, you know, it doesn't say that. The literal text says this. Not the Sabbath, but man was created first. So if man was created first, alright, then came the Sabbath. Obviously, you, cre- you created a Sabbath for the thing you created before. If the Sabbath was created first, and then the man then the man would have been made for the Sabbath. But since the Sabbath came after the man, then it was made for man. Get it? Alright, so, with William Henderson writing, by means of ever so many minute and often absurd requirements, vexing and burdensome restrictions, including the one that forbade men to to steal their hunger by picking heads of grain on the day, Oh, that's the Sabbath day. The rabbis were changing the Sabbath into a cruel tyrant and man into that tyrant's slave. As if God's intention had been to make man for the Sabbath instead of the Sabbath for the man. Okay, or for man. In short, let's finish this. The whole point of the Sabbath was to bless man, to keep him healthy, to make him happy, and to render him holy. It was never intended to prohibit works of necessity or deeds of mercy. Meaning that man was never created to be the Sabbath's slave. Continuing on to Mark 2.28, Jesus goes on to say, Therefore the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Now this is almost identical to Matthew 12.8 where Jesus says, For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. All right? In other words... By Jesus claiming that he was greater than the Sabbath, being God himself, he had every right to reject the Pharisaic regulations concerning the Sabbath and restore God's original intention for the Sabbath observance to be a blessing to man, not a burden. Amen? Amen. Alright, let's conclude there. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed as we pray and... Thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. We thank you, Father, for 
all the amazing things that we are learning. And we thank you, Father, that we ourselves guard against this kind of pharisaical thinking in our life. And we know, Father, we're not perfect. We know that we're going to make mistakes. We know that 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 is a part of our learning and growing. But we want to learn. We want to grow. We want to be better tomorrow than we were yesterday, than we are today. And I thank you, Father, that as we push to grow, as we push our boundaries, as we ask you, Father, to help and energize us and give us insight and wisdom in our everyday life, things that we just do by rote, things that we don't want to think about, but we just do it. Help us, Father, to see if there are any errors that are just built into our life that we just need to get rid of so that our life shines before you and our life is a blessing to all those around us. I thank you, Lord, that the more that we learn, the smarter and wiser that we get, and the more that we walk in your perfect will for our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.